0: Good morning, church. How are we doing? Doing all right. That that was weak. That was weak. Let's try that again. How are we doing this morning? Are we awake? Are we awake? All right. Amen. Amen. Uh, My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're our guest today, I would just love to welcome you again. Glad you could be with us, whether you're here in person or online. We're glad you took the time out on a Sunday to join us as we worship Jesus. If you want to grab your Bibles, We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning, as we're continuing our series called Solas. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and verse 2. So just two verses, two verses today. Hear the reading of God's Word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, Christ Alone. Christ Alone, as we jump in together, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word that is life to us. Lord, many of us are gathered here today and we are tired, we're exhausted, we're overwhelmed by the cares and worries of this world. There's so much. Lord, there's things that are in our own households, our our workplace, our families. Uh, It could be on the job, it could be uh, on the news in our community, wherever it may be, Lord, but there's so much coming at us. For the next few minutes, Lord, I just want us to pause, to pause and listen to what your Spirit might say to us in this moment. Lord, as we open up your word, may you speak to us as you promise your word does not return void. And so we invite you to do the work today that we cannot do. We can't change our hearts. We can't change our minds. We need you to do that. And as we look to you, God, you will make us into the image of Christ. And so we pray you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if anyone here owns a Kindle from Amazon, or maybe you have the app on your phone or something else, uh, but if you didn't know this, Amazon is tracking everything you highlight in that app. I find that fascinating. I'm not sure exactly why they need that data, but they are tracking what you highlight. And one of the greatest things about the Kindle, if you have one or have the app, uh, you, you can highlight things and you can search the highlights. So, you can find things that you highlighted. So, you know, regular books, old fashioned paper books, you got to go find the book, kind of skim through the book. But this, you can search all your library. And so, it's a really powerful tool. And so, they started researching uh, what were people actually using this for? What were they highlighting? And so recently, a couple years ago, they released the greatest highlights, if you will, like the most highlighted passages in all of their books that they sell. bestsellers like The Hunger Games and Harry Potter and classics like Pride and Prejudice or whatever it may be, and even the category of Scripture. So they, they released the, the most highlighted Bible verse in the Kindle app. Now people probably thought as this was coming out it would be something like John 3:16 or Psalm 23 or you know maybe the Lord's prayer something that was famous something well known by people who may or may not be familiar with the Bible but it was a somewhat obscure unexpected Bible verse Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 and this is what it says and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Isn't that fascinating? The most highlighted Bible verse in all the world on the Kindle app is about the peace of God. I mean, maybe that's not surprising to you because we live in a very tiring, worrisome, anxious world, right? There's a lot coming at us. There's a lot happening. There's so much that feels like it's constant panic mode. And, and many people are worried. There's things that we're worried about related to our kids. And, you know, kids are about to go back to school. And what does that look like? And are kids safe? And and then there's young adults who are growing up in, in a very confused culture, worried about their sexuality and their work identity and, and pressure that they're feeling from their family and so many different things. There's people who are Uh, concerned about their immigration and am I going to be deported? Am I going to be separated from my family? There's people that are concerned about the political climate of our culture and there's so much division and hatred and all kinds of things, right? I mean, just that list right there makes you go, oh. And so maybe it's not surprising that people are looking to this and they're saying, how do I find peace? How do I find peace in all the chaos and all the confusion? It seems as if peace is this elusive uh, desire of every human heart. We want it. We don't know where to get it. And in the Bible, there's actually this key difference between the peace of God and peace with God. Stick with me for a second. This is is real important. The peace of God is, is this subjective experience of God's peace in the middle of your circumstances. So it's not based on your circumstance. You might be going through the worst time in your life. You might be going through a divorce. You might be getting fired from your job. You might have something really tragic happening, yet God gives you peace despite your circumstances, and you can feel it. You didn't have it before, and now you have it, right? It's this experience of God's peace on your heart. It's different, the peace with God. Peace with God is not based on what what you might be experiencing in the moment, it doesn't change. It's actually objective. It's never changing. And it doesn't have to do with your circumstances. It has to do with your relationship with God that never changes. And so you have this peace with Him that despite whatever is going on, even if you don't feel it, even if you're not experiencing it, you have it. This peace with God. And it's this peace with God from which all other peace flows. And so as we continue our series today, we've been calling it solas. We're going to look at this peace. And solas is a Latin word. If you're jumping in at the end, this is the fourth in the series. We have one more week next week. Uh, but solas means alone. Somebody say alone. alone. It's a real simple idea. It just means that this is it. That's it. And so it's a word that comes out of the Reformation, and, and in the Reformation, they had these key foundational truths for the church that these were the alones. These were the things that, that are foundational and essential to our faith. And so we talked about Scripture alone and faith alone and grace alone. And now we're going to look at Christ alone. And as Paul is unpacking the gospel in the book of Romans, he's writing to this church that's really divided and confused over what the gospel is and how the gospel applies to their local context. And because of the division and because of the confusion, he writes them this letter outlining piece by piece what the gospel is, and he gets to chapter 5, and after all this foundation work, he asks the question, what's the point? All that, all that truth about the gospel, what difference does it make in my life? And if Paul could summarize it in one word, it would be peace. It would be peace. Everything that the gospel gives to us can be distilled down into one word, peace. And it's only found in Jesus. It's in Christ alone, this this unique peace that that God provides, that the world is searching for. It's in Him and Him alone, nothing else. And so we're going to look at how this peace changes us. Answering that question, what difference does it make in my life? If you're taking notes today, the first thing is past peace. It changes our past. Look at verse 1 again with me. Paul says this, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There it is. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul begins with kind of this first fruit of what the gospel does in our life. It brings peace. But sometimes we're we're confused even by that. What, what does peace mean? What what is Paul talking about? Because often in English, when we say peace, we mean uh, the absence of something. Right, we're using it in what the ancient world would call the Greek way of using this word. And, and that was basically, you're, you are subtracting something. You are taking something away. And so peace might be the absence of conflict or the absence of war or the absence of some kind of difficulty, right? When things are at peace, it's when you take away that bad thing. But in the Hebrew mind, not the Greek mind, but in the Hebrew mind, it's more than subtraction, it's actually addition, It's more than taking away something, you are actually giving something good. You see the difference? And so the word peace in the Hebrew mindset, in the Hebrew theology, it was really about this this word shalom, which which means wholeness or increase or complete. In other words, everything is the way that it should be. That's what shalom means. A couple years ago, um, our family took our daughters to the Lego store in Orlando. Has anybody ever been to the Lego store if you have kids that love Legos, you're welcome. It, this place is just a massive, uh, well, costly place to buy Legos. But, but they have everything you can think of. You show up to the Lego place and outside they've got this dragon built out of Legos in the little uh, canal next to the store. And then they've got this huge, uh, you know, Disney princess set and all these things, the like life-size characters. And then you walk into the store and everywhere you look is everything you can imagine in Lego form. So they've got different characters and different scenes and all kinds of things, but they're all in boxes. And this is fascinating to me. You walk up and everything's in a box and on the box are a few things. You've got uh, the, the picture, right? You've seen the picture where it's got what, what you can actually make out of the Legos. And then in the bottom right corner, it's got how many pieces are in the box. And some of the boxes, you know, they, There are 200 pieces, there are 500 pieces, some are like 20,000 pieces. You build like a whole city. It's this massive box. But no matter how big the box is, no matter what's on the box, no matter how many pieces are in the box, they all come in pieces. They all come in pieces, and it's your job to now put them all together. This is what Paul is assuming as he's talking about this, this peace. When he's saying peace is wholeness and peace is flourishing and peace is this shalom of God, what he's assuming is that we are like that box with just a bunch of pieces on the inside, begging to be put together. Right As, as he's making his way through Romans, he's already talked about sin and how sin is more than a decision. It's really destruction sin is more than just something you decide to engage in in the moment when you were weak in your flesh or something like that it it is actually the disintegration of your humanity it's it's pulling you apart it's it's breaking you into pieces and and it's through jesus he's saying it's through jesus that you get put back together and it's only through jesus because jesus is the only one who is together let me make that a little clearer. He, he's saying that Jesus, this, this Messiah who's come, He is in every way perfect. He is perfect in obedience, perfect in love, perfect in patience. He is the picture on the box, if you will. right? He is what it's supposed to look like when you get done because He is the design. And then He comes and He lives among us and He's literally torn to pieces on the cross. He's torn apart so that we could be put together. He's torn apart so that we could be made whole. You see that? And it's because he does that, it's because this perfect one comes and gives himself to be torn apart so we could be made whole, that God can say over us, peace, wholeness. See, we use this fancy word, we call it justification, Justification is just another way of us saying that God is declaring over you His peace. God is declaring over you something that's not true about you in the physical reality, but it's true about you spiritually. In other words, you might see the pieces in your life scattered across the floor that don't look like the the Star Wars figure that you think it should be, but God sees the box. God sees the final picture. God sees the perfect picture. This is the peace that God declares over you. He says he looks over your past and he declares peace, right? Peace over your darkest decisions, peace over your failed attempts, peace over your shame and guilt. Justification is a declaration. Of what is true about Jesus is now true about you. Peace over all your past. Now, does that mean you don't struggle anymore? Absolutely not. Of course you struggle. Of course I struggle. And like I said, there's these two realities now that happen when you come into a relationship with Christ. You now have one reality where your life is still in pieces being put together. And then you have another reality where God sees you perfect and beautiful and whole the way Jesus is. And so what you experience is not what God experiences about you. Does that make sense? What, what I'm saying is, is there's two ways that you are seen and there, there's the, what you see and there's what God sees and what you see may be discouraging. It may be frustrating, but listen to what Scripture says about you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? The reality of grace is that you have a new status. You have a new standing. You have a new identity. And you might say, right, you might argue with me, well, listen, you haven't seen my life. You haven't seen what I've done in my past. You haven't seen what I've done right now. You haven't seen what I'm planning on doing. And listen, you're right. You're right. All of that is broken. All of the things that have happened in your past, the things that you've done, the things that have been done to you, that You're right, it, it is not good. But listen, the question is not, what do you see? The question is, what does God see? Yeah, yeah. The question is, is, what does he see when he looks at you? I mean, let me ask you, what, what from your past are you allowing to uh, affect your present right now? in such a way that you, you treat your past as if it is the defining thing about who you are. I mean, ask yourself, as you think about God and how He looks at you, how He thinks about you, what, what is the look on His face? As you imagine God and, and how he, he looks towards you, what, what is the expression He's making? Is it disdain? Is it disgust? Is it kind of a cold distance? Because listen, if you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus and you've made this transfer from old to new, from death to life, if there's any other expression on His face in your imagination than, than absolute delight and radiant love and overabundance of wonder and grace and mercy, then you haven't understood what's happened. You haven't understood it. You haven't understood when God declared peace over you, what he said was wholeness, health, thriving. That's what he sees. He sees what Jesus did, and he puts it upon you and says, this is what I declare to be true about you. Whether you feel it or not, you've been justified. You've been declared peace. But that kind of peace over your past has effects on your present, right? That, that kind of pre, or peace in, in, in what God has done before shapes what he's doing now. And this is the second point, present peace. He goes on to, to use the present tense in verse 2. Look at what he says. He says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now again, here the Greek is helpful because the word access here, it means to bring near, to introduce. I love how the New American Standard translates it. It says, we have, been, we have obtained our introduction. The word was often used of uh, powerful people, dignitaries and, and royalty who would come in and, and they would introduce somebody to a party who wasn't supposed to be there somebody who didn't have the social status was was brought in and they were given access they were introduced to the other people that they didn't really belong but they got in paul is saying jesus is our dignitary he's the one with the spiritual status who brings us in where we don't belong he brings us into a place where we would have been on the outside but now because we have peace we're on the inside we have access a couple years ago, a friend of mine, he got invited to go to an Orlando Magic game at the new arena. This is when the new arena just opened, and he got courtside tickets, and uh, I, I had never been courtside in my whole life. Grew up in Orlando, been to a couple games before, and me and my dad would always sit up in what he called the nosebleed sections. Like, you know, you're so high, you're, you're losing oxygen, you got to bring your own oxygen tank with you, and, and that's where we sat, the $5 tickets. That, that, they they The Magic were really bad, let me tell you. They were giving away tickets. If you didn't want to pay $5, there were people outside just handing them out. But that, that, that was all we could get. And and so we're getting invited to this game, and I'm like, yeah, I'll go. He picked me out of the two people. I, I love the Orlando Magic. Never been courtside. So we go to the game. We pull up in this private parking lot, and you could tell it's all these these elite ticket holders just by the parking lot cars, right? You can tell this is the entrance for someone else, not me. And then you walk in the entrance that didn't have any sign, nothing. And as soon as you walk in, there's this party going on. People are asking you if you want food and drink. And there's a lady who is showing you to your seat. And we go down this private elevator to the bottom where you walk out the same tunnel that the players come out of. I mean, you felt special. And then you walk around the court on the edge of, all the way to your seat, in the front. And we had nothing between us and the game. I mean, you could smell their sweat. You could see how tall 6'10 really looks. We had access. And none of us belonged. None of us we, we could have never got there on our own. And this, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, we have tickets we can't afford. We have access we can never gain. Listen to what he says. Not only that, he says, it's grace in which we stand. In other words, he's saying, this is not only access, like they let you in by accident and they're going to then chauffeur you out. Or, or you got to come for one time and then you'll never go again. He said, this is grace in which you stand. You settle down, you make your home. This is your place. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. He says, grace is the new realm in which we live. We've been transferred from the realm of judgment into the realm of justification. In other words, the, the peace of Christ transforms you in such a way it's not just your past, it's now your present. Your present reality is different because your peace with God secures your standing. It secures your standing. Whitney Houston was one of the greatest singers of all time, and uh, when she passed away, her funeral uh, was attended by thousands of people, and one of her friends, Kevin Costner, who was a dear friend of hers, and he spoke at her funeral, they, they were in The Bodyguard together, that 90s movie, right? And and The Bodyguard was was kind of where the two of them really kicked off their, their fame as far as the movie industry goes, and... And he was recounting some stories from their friendship and things that were going on. And he told this story of how when they were on set, they were making the movie, it was her turn to kind of come in, and everyone was excited to to meet her and be in her presence. And, And so everybody's looking for her, and they couldn't find her. She's missing. And so Kevin goes back to the dressing room, and he's trying to find her, and he finds her in one of the rooms. She's standing, or sorry, she's sitting at the desk looking into the mirror, just staring. And he says, Whitney, do you know it's, it's your time? It's time to go. You got to go. And she said, no. And then she stopped. She didn't say anything else. He said, what, what's wrong? And she just kept staring. And then finally she said this. She said, without looking at him at all, just into the mirror, do you, do you think I'm good enough? Do you think they're going to like me? And then she said to him, do you, do you think I'm good enough? I mean, this is Whitney Houston one of the greatest singers of all time, that soundtrack from that movie would go on to sell a million copies in seven days. It would sell 45 million all time, the, the best-selling soundtrack of all time. She would be the most awarded female artist in history. And she's asking, do, do you think I'm good enough? Do, do you think I can do this? Right? She, she had no Peace. Listen, some of us, some of us, we relate to God that way in, in our brokenness. Our, our relationship with God is based on, on what others think of us and what we think of ourselves. In other words, we relate to Him on what might have happened yesterday or what might have happened last week or what happened when you were in your 20s or we relate to Him on what we're hoping we can do this week to make up for some things or we're hoping what we can do for Him in the future when we get our life together or whatever it may be, we're hoping that we can relate to God on some kind of standing. Some kind of standing that we can bring to the table. That we can say, look at what I've done. I've done something good enough. And so until then, we keep asking, God, do you think I'm good enough? Do you think I've messed up too bad? you think my life is where you want it to be? Are you pleased with me? Is my life bringing you what you want? And it's this constant, overwhelming sense of, is my peace really secure? And I'm here to tell you this morning that His grace doesn't waver that our our hearts may be weak. Our sin may make us cynical, but it never wavers. His peace is secure in our standing. We, We have access. We have an introduction. We have a new realm of grace that's not based on our merit, but it's based on His mercy. And so if we wait if we wait until the moment that we feel like we've done something good enough, if we wait until the moment where we feel like we've earned a place with Him, we're going to keep waiting. And I'm afraid that that, that's kind of how many of us relate, especially in our prayer life. You think about your prayer life, and many of us are praying only when we feel like we've earned a place with God. Like you feel spiritual enough that now you're in a place where you can finally talk to Him. It's like the last... Place maybe in your life where legalism is ruling and reigning because you're not living in His peace that gives you access. I mean, what if we prayed with such boldness that in our darkest moments, in the most confusing times, that's where we we sought Him out the most? What if we prayed with such boldness that even when we failed miserably, We know that this is the time where God is inviting us to himself. What if we prayed in such boldness that we knew that our peace with God could never get messed up so that even if we're not feeling peace in the moment, we know that we have peace that is beyond our feelings. That's the kind of access that you have. That's the kind of access that Jesus has purchased for us, but it comes in him and him alone. It's only in him. And then that kind of present peace, again, gives you something even greater, Paul says. It's future peace. Paul moves on to the future in verse 2. we got to hurry up for a second. He says this. He says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then he says this, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, God's glory is often this this Christian phrase that that maybe we don't even understand as we use it. We we sing about it. We shout about it. We say glory to God. We memorize it in in the catechisms. You know, the the glory of God is our chief end, all these things. But what does it actually mean? What are we saying when we say the glory of God? I want to make it real simple. It's His weight. The the word glory means his weight. It's it's his weightiness. It's his his significance. It's what makes him God. It's it's his majesty, his beauty, his holiness. It's what sets him apart. And so when, when he's saying that we have hope in his glory, he's saying we have hope in God himself, that he would reveal himself in which he's already done. Right? We talked about this last week, that he's already shown his glory through Jesus in John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is what he says, And we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus was God's glory in the flesh. Jesus was God's glory, his weight, his, his presence right here, living, dying, rising for us. It was his glory in our redemption, his glory in our peace, his glory in our salvation. But that glory was only the beginning. That glory when Jesus came was only the beginning because when he's coming again, there will come a day when his glory will be fully revealed. When the full shalom of God will cover the earth when all things will be made new, when every eye will be wiped dry, when every broken heart will be mended, when every injustice will be made right, it's coming when Jesus returns in His glory. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that our hope of glory is in Jesus. Our hope of glory is when Jesus comes in His fullness and He uses this word hope because it's it's a specific Christian idea. Right? It's it's not this hope where maybe the culture says hope is is something you you wish would happen. It's wishful thinking. I'm I'm hoping I get a million dollars. I'm hoping I get this new job. I'm hoping this girl likes me. I'm I'm hoping, right? It's this wishful thinking. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul uses that word to mean is conviction. Hope is is certainty. It's certainty that God has done one thing in the past. He he sent His Son in the fullness of His glory, and if He did it in the past, He's going to do it in the future. If He did it before where He showed us His love and His mercy and His grace, He says, how much more will I do it in the future again? I'm going to do it, and you can be certain that I'm going to do it because I'm giving you my hope. I'm giving you the hope of my word, my promise, in my Son. And so he's declared peace over our past. He's secured peace in our present. And because there is hope of glory, he's promised peace for our future. Our peace is confident because our hope is certain. It's certain. In 2015, uh, a terrorist attack happened in San Bernardino. Many of you probably remember it It left 14 people killed and 22 uh, injured seriously injured. It was horrific violence and evil. And, and if you remember, it was, it was on the news constantly just seeing terrible, tragic stories time after time. But out of that news also came some glimpses of hope. And you saw some stories come out where, where you see how God turned this radical evil into good. And, and one of those stories was from a, a young survivor, a 27-year-old named Denise. And her life was spared not because the shooter's came in and they saw her and they turned the other way, but because they came in and they didn't see her. They came in and didn't see her because of another young man named Sharon, who when he saw them come in, he dove on the ground and he grabbed her with him and he wrapped her around or wrapped himself around her and, and hugged her on the ground and literally blocking her from the shooters with his own body to save her life. And this is how she tells her story. Listen to what she says. It was Wednesday morning at 10.55. We were seated next to each other at the table, joking about how we thought the clock on the wall must be broken because time was seeming to move so slowly. I would have never guessed that only five minutes later, we would be huddled next to each other under the same table, using a fallen chair as a shield from over 60 rounds of bullets being fired across the room. While I cannot recall every second that played out that morning, I will always remember his left arm wrapped around me, holding me as close as possible next to him behind that chair. Amidst all the chaos, I'll always remember him saying three words, I got you, I got you. Those words were peace for me. See, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Hear God saying over you in your past, your present, your future, I've got you. I've got you. Right? Our hope is certain because God said, I've got you in Christ. With arms stretched wide on the cross, God said, I got you. With a crown of thorns and stripes on His back, God said, I got you. With a body buried in the grave, God said, I got you. With a risen Savior conquering death itself, God says, I got you. With Jesus interceding and reigning right now in heaven, God says, I've got you. With the promise of His return and the renewal of all things, God says, I've got you. Our hope is certain because he said, I've got you. And he keeps his word over and over and over again in Christ, in Christ. So in the midst of any sin, any suffering, whatever the pain, whatever the failure, he says, I've got you. Those three words are his promise. And so this morning as we close I just want to ask you, do you have that kind of peace? Do you have peace over your past, over your present, over your future? Not peace that are, that's based on the circumstances. Not peace as in a feeling or, or, or even an experience of what God might be doing in your heart. But I'm saying a peace that's secure. A peace that between you and God can't be broken, can't be changed. It's forever and always. God has done for you in Christ what you could never do. Do you have that? Because the Bible says that you can only have that in Christ alone. That's what that phrase means. In Christ alone means you can't get it somewhere else. You can't get it from your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your job, your career. You can't get it from money. You can't get it from materialism. You can't get it anywhere else but Christ. Him and Him alone. And he offers that. He says, "I, I want to give you an introduction I want to bring you in where you could never go and it will transform you forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word that reminds us of the secure standing we have in Christ. Lord, it reminds us despite what, what may feel like uh, unstable ground. It may feel like the sand is, is moving and it feels like we're falling and, and it feels like things are are collapsing, but Lord, we know that your peace that surpasses all understanding is what's true. Your peace that declares over our past wholeness, health, thriving, salvation. Your peace that that declares over our present that you're with us, that you'll never forsake us. Your peace that tells us in the future you will come again and you will make all things right, that you will wipe away every tear. What a peace, Lord. We pray as we continue to worship you today, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, remind us of that and live or help us to live that out. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.